What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition, Casey in the House Edition, who I recently semi-drunk tested because I missed him. I was wondering what was... <laughs> I could tell the tone was a little... Uh, a Happy? Little, a little uh, charming, as Noel would say. Yeah, I was sitting around. I think I was watching Criterion Channel. Yeah. And so naturally, <laughs> I, I can't do that and not think of you. Yes. And uh, I had a couple of martinis, and I missed my old pal, oh, so... Uh, well. I just you got to tell people that these days. Yeah, it's it's really important, and I'm 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 glad you texted, man, because I I really miss doing these. So I'm I'm happy to be back. Yeah, and we had a nice little exchange via text, and then you said, "Hey, let's do a uh, let's do uh, how would you pronounce this in real French? Beau travail. Oh well, I could just say <laughs> okay. beau beau travail or good work. Although it's pretty much known by the French title, even though the it's a pretty straightforward. English translation, um, usually the French tile is what gets used. Well, let me give a brief setup because this is a movie that undoubtedly has uh, not been seen by a lot of the listeners. If you are a true cinephile, you probably know about this movie named consistently as one of the best movies of the 1990s, even there at the tail end in 1999 when it was released. And it is a film about, it's not a movie, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be calling this a movie, right? 
No, it's a film about uh, some French foreign legionnaires uh, who are doing a lot of training and things. Well, that's even into the weeds. It is about a man, a sergeant in the foreign legion who, uh, and we'll talk about what, what all is going on here, but ends up having an issue with one of his subordinates and that's kind of the plot line. <laughs> yeah, the the plot is is pretty pretty threadbare, I would say. Um, As is the script. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The um, this is this is diving right into the weeds. But um, Claire Denis often works with this co-writer Jean Paul Forgeau, uh-huh. and um, in in the case of this film, they were adapting a, a Herman Melville novel right. that that was finished posthumously. Like he wasn't done with it when he died. Billy but, Bud, is that Billy, right? Billy Bud, that's right. Yeah. And he had left apparently extensive notes and and different revisions that he kind of wanted to work on, um, but it was kind of left to like his widow and then various scholars and biographers and so on to kind of like sort it all out. Um, but it's it's pretty well acknowledged now. It's like one of his best works. Uh, yeah. That's kind of the the literary consensus from what I understand. Um, and yeah, so, so they're adapting this this Herman Melville uh, work. Um, but the, the form that the adaptation took, um, with her co-writer, her co-writer basically just wrote the diaries that we see being written in the film. Okay. And those worked as what, what Claire Denis calls a sort of libretto. It's like, it's the voiceover that, that sits over the top of everything, but he wasn't necessarily writing like interior day, this thing happens. So yeah, it leaves a it, lot of space for the viewers yeah. kind of float on top of the images and, and things to kind of proceed in this kind of dreamy way yeah i mean that voiceover is the only thing that really gives you any insight into what actually is going on in the movie um it's it's a damn near silent film i mean i would say 80 percent of this movie is dialogue free yeah beautifully shot i know uh claire denis worked with it's an interesting look at, at masculinity and the male just the I guess just masculinity, that's the easiest way to say it, but yes. it was made by a female filmmaker and a female editor and a female cinematographer, which yes. is really interesting. Yeah. And also at a time in a year, 1999, where movies like Fight Club and American Beauty came out that all sort of looked at a similar thing through really vastly different lenses. That's a really interesting parallel. Yeah. I mean, you think about the way that Fight Club goes kind of in the same direction, although a completely different way. But right. in terms of like the the body to body contact that happens mm-hmm. there when they're fighting and the way that the fighting is almost a pretext for this kind of male intimacy that they're missing. Um, yeah. The sense of belonging to a family, um, the sense of like claiming or reclaiming their masculinity because they feel very emasculated by modernity yeah. and like just like their corporate, you know, uh, office jobs and so on. Mm-hmm. Um and the same thing that we see in this film, too, when they're doing those various kind of sort of military exercises, sort of choreographed dances. Yeah. Um, but especially the one where they're where they're bare chested and they're and they're they're lunging into each other and, and grappling each other yeah, and hugging. And so, yeah, it's a it's a hug. It's an embrace. But at the same time, there's like an aggressive pretext to it as well. But it really is like this this um, this really, really interesting mix of, of all these different layers happening at one time. It uh that sort of reminds me of this uh one of the great did you ever watch Doctor Cats? Oh yeah yeah I I haven't seen like every episode but I yeah. definitely have seen Doctor Cats. One of the funny uh, great jokes of Doctor Cats was uh when someone was talking about the um when men hug each other when straight men hug each other 
And they the, the big slap on the back. <laughs> right, right. And he was like, because I'm hugging you, hugging you, but I'm also hitting you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like you've got to mix need. a little bit of aggression in there. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, my gay male friends, when we hug, there's no slapping. It right. Is a, it, it is a embrace, a loving embrace. Yeah. And I had to not get used to it in a sense that it weirded me out in any way because I, I certainly didn't care. But it was just, I was raised to be like, you hug another guy and you give him a firm pat on the back. And I'm like, no, not not your gay friends. They just give you a nice snuggle. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and sometimes you hug kind of hard. It's like shaking somebody's hand and you grip it really tight, you know. Yeah. If you have like a loose grip, that's sort of, you know. Not with your gay friends. Questionable. It's a very but warm, yeah, loving, tender hug. It's that's, kind of wonderful. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very, very true. And the, that sort of... um I guess you could say homoerotic subtext is is definitely part of the book as well. Um, it's definitely part of the movie. Yeah, it's very much part of the movie. Um, maybe even more part of the book, uh, just because the book maybe has even more of an internal view of um, what in in the book his name is Claggart. In the film, he's uh, Galou. Um, Galou. That's the Denny Denny Levant character, the the sort of master at arms. Um, his his sort of the blend that he feels of like jealousy and envy and desire mm -hmm. and and he's threatened and and all all these things you know that he he's sort of it feels like he's um you know maybe in, in a bit of denial about how he actually feels about santan the the young kind of uh subordinate yeah who you know just physically um they're contrasted in that uh galu is has a pockmarked face right, and he looks right. very rough uh for the wear uh, looks like he's, you know, fought in a dozen wars, which he probably hasn't even. Uh, and who was the younger character? What's his name? Uh, Santen. Santen is... which is Gregoire Collin as the actor. Yeah, just impossibly smooth of skin and young and perfect and has sort of this really handsome, sweet face. And it's a movie that is... It, it's funny because it is so clear by the end of this thing that Galou is in the closet yeah. and has repressed homosexual urges without the movie doing much of anything to explicitly say that. Even. Right. Right. Yeah. She leaves it very, very subtle, you know, never, Super never subtle. made explicit. Um, there's never a moment. Not even a where, shot of yeah. like him looking at him, like sweating and glistening in the sun. Like, right. Not even that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's all left as, as subtext and, it is very much there if you look for it. And, and in a way, I mean, it's all over the film, but it's it's just never directly referenced or pointed to in any way. Yeah. And I mean, I think the film, it, it allows the film to have just a, a multitude of meanings beyond just that one reading of it. Sure. Um, and, and it just, it leaves a richness because there's nothing like didactic or ideological about it. Um, it's It's one kind of floating meaning among many. Yeah, and it's also a movie where if you know nothing about it, which I didn't, I didn't even look up anything uh, going in, uh, it, it very much leaves you tense because you you get the sense that something bad is happening. They show at the beginning, they're in this, uh, they're stationed in Africa as French foreign legionnaires in sort of a, a rundown area of Africa, and there are these women around and they sometimes are at the clubs dancing with these women. And there's even one line about how these women are sold and you don't, you don't know what the movie's about if you haven't looked it up. So you're thinking this is part of the plot where it really isn't. Or then it alludes to like an event, something bad happens 
And it's sort of building to what you think because you're conditioned to watching regular movies, some really big climax. And it doesn't even do that. There is an event, but it's it's also pretty, you know, low key. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty low key when it arises, although the whole film is kind of building to it because in the VO, he's he's clearly talking about the past from right. this present point where he's no longer in the French Foreign Legion. Right. And he's been kind of cast out, you know. And he's angry. He talks about his rage. Yeah. Uh, what's the one line he has? I mean, you know, you go back, I went back and watched the first 10 minutes again and, and, and that kind of bears, uh, I think it's something you should do. And it actually, an entire second viewing, I think would be even more of a rich experience. Big time. Yeah. But going back and watching that first 10 minutes there, it's all right there in the dialogue. You just, if you hadn't seen it before, you don't really know what's going on. It's way more explicit than, um, than it feels the first time around for sure. Totally. Like it's, it's definitely, he's telling you a lot in that VO, but his delivery of it and the way it's just kind of mixed with these floaty visuals and the music and, and the long passages that are kind of wordless. Um, it, some of it can kind of like drift by you, but if you, if you do concentrate on it, um, he is telling you quite a lot. He even says, you know, I'm kind of ashamed of like this closed minded legionnaire that I was at the time. Yeah. Um, and that, um, what's the, the one line that he has, you know, perhaps freedom begins with remorse. Yeah, and, and that's repeated at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the story right there is, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's sort of it. And that's why it's said twice and sort he, of bookending it. But it, it is this sort of, um, he's kind of cast out of like paradise, you know, he has this mm -hmm. kind of almost like Garden of Eden where it's, it's all these men and young men and he's uh -huh. there as their superior. And the, there, there's a cab driver that's, that's talking to the, the, higher superior um yeah bruno forestier played by michelle subor um he says you know you're like a surrogate father to all these guys mm -hmm. and he just kind of laughs it off but it really is true like they have created their own little bubble that's like separate from society e separate from the the foreign legion even yeah like they're just like it, at the end of uh -huh. you know they're they're on the far east side of africa they're on the coast they're in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the desert and they just have this like closed little bubble and until Santan comes along it's sort of you know uh, a perfect thing for for galu and then Santan just like completely throws the the balance off when he arrives yeah there's also a bit of a, a terence malick vibe uh i think released the same year as thin red line which is interesting yep. too his war effort but you know who's influencing who here I don't know the timeline. Uh, for all I know, Terrence Malick is influenced by by Claire Denis. I mean, I think they're they're. I'm sure they're both familiar with each other's work, big time. And and we should say Claire Denis had a long career in film as a assistant director and a, a casting oh, okay. director as well um, before she makes her first film at age 42 in oh, 1988. Wow. So she had a whole career where she worked with Jim Jarmusch on uh, Down by Law for casting or as an for, AD as an AD. Oh, interesting. She also worked with Vim Vendors on Paris, Texas and Wings of Desire uh, as AD as well. And with Andre Tarkovsky as the casting director on The Sacrifice. Wow. So, so she worked with you know, like some amazing people yeah. before she ever started making films. And I think it's so interesting that she was already in her 40s when she started making films. Um, it's like she had this whole other life of experiences before she started kind of making cinema uh, about because a lot of it draws from her own personal experience. She has, um, you know, she grew up in Africa. She was born in Paris, but 
raised in Africa, the child oh, of okay. uh, an African French uh, diplomat. And okay. so they moved around kind of colonial French parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe she spent some time in, in Djibouti where this film is set um, when she was young, but also like Cameroon, uh, Burkina Faso and, and a few other places. So she 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 definitely has a, an amazing pedigree when it comes to, to cinema. Well, there is something about it being the French Foreign Legion as well, especially as a as an American audience, because there's such a mysterious thing to Americans. It's I, I mean. 999 out of a thousand Americans probably know zero about the French Foreign Legion other than they wear those funny looking hats. And it's, um, I think that mystery for an American audience really is, I think it was very specific that it was French Foreign Legion and not just army, even French army. Right. Um, because you also get these, you know, French Foreign Legion has people from all over the world. It's not just French soldiers. It's also uh, an organization known for sort of the end of the line for a lot of people. Exactly. Um, if enlisting in the army in the U.S. is sort of a last resort, and for some guys, it's like that for most men in the French Foreign Legion. Yeah, there's there's an uh, uh, a sense that everyone here is an outsider, is an outcast yeah. from something. Has um, it's made explicit with with Santan that um, he has no awareness of his parents that he was found. In a, tough, in a staircase man. somewhere yeah um and uh and yeah and that this is this this kind of surrogate family and the 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 kind of genesis of this project was um uh, as happened often in the 90s it was commissioned by european television initially mm. with the idea that they wanted claire denis to make a film on the idea of being a foreigner of you know being a stranger or something and so as a joke (laughs) she thought okay foreigner foreign legion um but the more she thought about it she was like well you know what there's maybe actually something here because it's a way in um to show these people that are they have their in-group dynamic and their out-group dynamic Uh and they are this kind of foreign occupying force colonial force yeah. Um, Djibouti at this point has has its independence from France for about 20 something years when this film was made um, but obviously the, the colonial kind of era lingers and we actually don't know where in time exactly we are so yeah that's a good point I mean it could, it's, it could kind of be at any point in the last like 30 something years probably well the only thing that really dates it is uh, this is the rhythm of the night yes 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 <laughs> that's that's true the music that, that you hear in the disco um, that is actually in the movie, so yeah. you know it's at least... That's kind of, yeah, that's locking it down to a certain, the 90s, for sure. But uh, it also, like, if if you've ever, you know, been to places like that and gone into a place that plays music, like, they could be playing that, it could have been two years ago when they're playing exactly. that song, like, yes, it's the latest totally. hit. <laughs> yeah, those are still staples. And I love, you know, whenever I hear that song out somewhere, I always think of this movie. It's impossible not to now. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those <laughs> uses of music that just, like, completely owns that song now you know yeah and you know we'll get to that part because the the last uh scene is really very interesting yeah (laughs) yeah uh the photography what was the film stock this was shot on film right oh this is definitely shot on film it's 35 i'm pretty sure okay some parts Um, look 16 but it does not look like a movie shot in 1999 even yeah no it has um the it's very like saturated very high contrast Mm-hmm. Um, it has like a, a a real boldness to it, 
And yet at the same time, it's saturated, but it's also muted. You get a lot of these muted tones. And of course, the desert is 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 very desaturated, kind of drained of a lot of color. Yeah. Um, but in certain places, the colors really pop, like the, the clothing that the African women are wearing, uh-huh. uh, these really, really saturated reds and so on. Um, well, that the really blue, pop- blue sky and the, the blue, blue, blue yes, uh, yeah. water. And the, and the skin against uh-huh. all of that too, because the, yeah. the, the rich tones of the skin um, against this kind of like, um, yeah, desaturated backdrop. And like you said, the, the really blue sky where a lot of times they'll frame shots where it's just the body against the blue sky. Only sky. And this really kind beautiful. of really abstract, interesting thing. Uh, there's, that, there's that sequence where they're walking or they're they're kind of climbing across the uh, the wires against yeah, the sky. I know you're going to talk about that scene. And, it's so and you, cool and you just you have no sense of like how far off the ground they are or anything. It's just you know these bodies moving through space in this really kind of beautiful abstract way. Um, I think that's that's obviously that when I first saw the film, I think the cinematography more than anything else was what drew yeah. me in and kept me coming back for totally. going on twenty years now. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Agnès Godard has no relation to Jean-Luc Godard, uh-huh. other than they're both great and they work in film. But uh, she has been the the kind of recurring uh, cinematographer collaborator with Claire Denis mm-hmm. after her first film. She was not uh, the cinematographer on the first film, but I think she might have actually been uh, assistant camera or something. And okay. then they really hit it off on that film, and she continued to work with her afterwards, and has for the most part, with one or two exceptions since then. Um, but they have a, she, she's, uh, she kind of works in the European um, tradition, obviously, being French, yeah. uh, where she's not only the cinematographer, she's also typically the camera operator as well, which is so important on a film like this where a lot of it is yeah. handheld and the framing is so specific and the way mm-hmm. that the camera just like lingers over the bodies and the way it captures movement and everything. Um, It'd be very, very difficult uh, as a cinematographer to really control the look in the movie if you were not also operating the camera on your shoulder and and really seeing it through the eyepiece and kind of doing it uh, like a dance, really, with with the actors themselves. Um, but at the same time, the film also has a lot of these beautiful locked off tableau shots, yeah, where you get a sense of the scale of of the location, like yeah, yeah, when they go to that second place to quote unquote work on the road or whatever, but he's really just trying to isolate Santan. Yeah. And they're, and they're by those three volcanoes and Uh you know, the, the ocean and um, you know, they just, it just looks like they're just like, you know, hammering into rocks all day, like just real, real make work kind of stuff. Um, So the film has a a great balance of on the one hand, the kind of um, constantly moving restless camera. And at the same time, these locked off lingering shots, uh, wider shots that show the landscape and so on. I, I love also the the opening sequence of the film when you're she's kind of revealing the African landscape for the first time and it's through mm-hmm. the windows of this train. Yeah. And it's not really like a perfect shot in the sense that obviously they could have put a camera just on a dolly. They could have put it outside the train and got mm-hmm. an unobscured view. But I love that they left the camera inside looking out through the windows so that we get the same perspective as the people that are on that train, as they're looking at that landscape, and it's it's more like it's their daily experience of that landscape as opposed to like a postcard idealized right. kind of view of it. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. 
someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done hey this is jody sweeten from the podcast how rude tanneritos as a nostalgic voice from your past i'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024 you deserve to get away It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There are a couple of shots that, I mean, every shot stands out because it's just so beautiful, but a couple that really stand out to me, uh, one was, um, and I think probably because not only are they beautiful, but they're kind of fraught with symbolism, but one, when it shows from a distance, the, all the guys in the, uh, platoon or whatever it's called their squadron, yeah. uh, not a squadron, I don't have no <laughs> idea what the terms are, um, kind of romping in the ocean and having a good time. Right. And then the big boss, uh, not the sergeant, but his commander, standing at a far distance with that chain link fence yes through the fence it clearly is just like you know the, you're you are separated from them yeah in in many ways by youth and uh, and old age by experience by vitality by you're you're not allowed to go out there and strip your speedo and have a good time yeah you have to be the boss like it's there's so much going on there and it's very simple just throw up that chain link fence and it's like boom, instant symbolism. Yeah, he's 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 this authority. So on the one hand, he has power over them, mm-hmm. and and obviously his rank is far advanced from on where they are. But you get the sense that he wishes he were on the other side of that fence. Still, oh, for sure. And that he is almost imprisoned by this this position that he has come to, even though he has advanced 
to that position, you know, so right. he would be viewed but, as a success, yeah. but it's like, now I'm locked away. I can, I can look, but I can't actually go out and be part of this anymore. Yeah. But without the, the strings uh, swelling and the tear running right. down the face, like yeah. Hollywood would have just fucked this up in like 10 different ways. Oh yeah. Um, it's all so, so subtle. Um, the other great shot is when the guys are stretching on the beach toward the end and the camera's just sort of meandering around from slightly above uh, until they're all sort of doing that quad stretch where you put one leg behind you yeah. and lean all the way back. And it's, it's you know, they look like they've been massacred from battle. Right. Just laying there. And it was just like, man, it's just such a great shot. And at the same time, it's like it's like a modern dance piece or ballet or something like the, yeah. the beauty of those movements and, and the way and that then they the lean lack of back. Movement. Yeah. yeah. And then the stillness afterwards. So cool. And the way they are arranged in this kind of circular mm -hmm. kind of thing where the camera goes all the way around and then, you know, settles on one end and then kind of goes back around the other way. Yeah. Really, really beautiful stuff. I mean, Claire, Claire Denis worked with a choreographer on this film. Uh, and, yeah, I'm sure. And, and not, not like the script was done and then they decided to tack this stuff on, but yeah. from the very conception... Um, as the script was being written, as they were in pre-production and just figuring out what, what the film was going to be, yeah. they were rehearsing in Paris with this choreographer. And uh, I believe some of the soldiers in the film are like dancers. You know, they're, they're people that come from that world they of, look like of dancers. movement and so on. <laughs> Denis Levant has that, has that kind of background as well, uh, as well as acting in other films. But um, Well, is that Galou? Yes, that's Galou, yeah. Well, clearly there's some dance skills yes, going on. Yes. We'll get to that again. Yeah. But um, that brings up an important point about the script. What is, how do you write a script like this? Like, what does this script even look like? Because so little dialogue, but I would love to see it because, yeah. you know, do you type out soldiers walk through frame right. and, and sweat, cut to soldiers do push-ups and sweat, cut to soldiers, you know, the shadow of soldiers on the ground for a few seconds, like... It feels very much like a Malick-esque thing where you you just go out and shoot a bunch of stuff right? that you know will you can edit, you know, get in the edit. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that definitely this, this it was constructed somewhat that way where there was a lot of shooting. Um, the images could be arranged, obviously, in, in any number of ways. Um, I don't know what the what the form of the screenplay was, but... As it I still said, has the, intention, though. the formal, you know, the formal kind of document was just those diaries. And then right. I'm sure there was some kind of working document that was like, here's all the kind of sequences and situations and things we need to capture. But I'm sure that left a lot of room for, like you said, just, you know, filming them doing doing different things like ironing that, that great shot where yeah. they're all <laughs> lined up with the ironing boards and, and, and in their in shorts the and so on <laughs> in the desert. Um, and and Galoop kind of like surveying you know uh right. being like okay good job you know um yeah the, 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 this this film um among all their films up to this point is kind of the most free form and uh and open to kind of editorial yeah. um interpretation and, and flexibility that way and i am I, I would love to know really um if there was just a huge amount of freedom in the shooting if they were working with a little bit more of a, of a rigid structure, how mm -hmm. that all came together. Because it, like you said, the Malik thing, it could just kind of be, you could be out there shooting forever and then just kind of finding this in the editing room. Yeah. And it's amazing that this is the form that the film takes 
because it seems so intentional. You would think a movie like this, like that's a, it's a, it's a very bad idea if you're a novice filmmaker and you want to go out and make something to do anything like this because you're just setting yourself up for a big mess. Like when you're a young filmmaker, I think the more specific you can be and the better, like storyboarded and to the nth degree, but this all still feels very intentional and not like a film built in the edit. And I feel like the film even, even kind of in in an interesting way announces itself that it's going to be like that near the beginning where there's a couple of shots uh, that are just like waves in water rolling Mm -hmm. with the sunshine reflecting off it in these really bright circular uh, specular reflections. And there's like a dissolve between that and between a shot of his handwriting in the journals. Oh yeah, that and, was a really nice shot. And I love the this combination of like the flowing rippling water mm-hmm. and the and the you know the hand the pen flowing on the paper as he as he's writing these journals. Mm-hmm. To me that that kind of sets the tone for like this is going to be this kind of undulating thing. It's going to ebb and flow. Yeah. Um and it's got this kind of there's a sense in which we're like we're drifting and we're floating and um the you know obviously the the flashback structure um in terms of the those flashbacks or the flash forwards, we could say, because the yeah, whole yeah. film is a flashback in, in right. that sense, uh, even though it feels like it's kind of happening in the present, mm. uh, you know, there's no like gauzy dissolve or, right. or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it's happening. No in star the wipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but those but those jumps forward to the present, those were filmed, I believe, a few months after they wrapped photography in Africa. And so it's it's an interesting thing because Denis Levant, the actor, he was there in Africa with everybody else, with the whole yeah. cast and crew and everything. And then it when they came, the script. <laughs> yeah. And then when they came back to do these these flash forwards, the present day stuff in Marseille, um, he's completely alone. Yeah. And and he's actually thinking back like a few months ago what they did together in the desert, yeah, yeah. and that now he's separate from all that. So it sets a really great tone. Um, totally. You know, just as almost like a method sort of thing um, for him to really be able to tap into that sense of isolation and having been kind of cast out from from you know this this uh, Edenic kind of uh, place. Yeah, and especially when he uh, just as an actor on a film set, no doubt had a camaraderie with these guys. You have that big family feeling, uh, which is exactly mirrors what he feels in the French Foreign Legion. Right. And then, yeah, then he's uh, he's he's cast out of the garden and, uh, you know, we're wearing all black usually uh, it, like the, the contrast of his appearance. Yeah. Like what they didn't do, which I'm kind of glad is like grow his hair out and have right, a big right. beard, beard or something like you can still he's still like very much taking care of himself in the way that he makes his bed and that's still how he going stays, through the ritual. That's how he stays exactly. That's how he stays yeah. connected to it. Um, even though he says in, in voiceover pretty early on, like my my muscles are out of shape, my body feels like it's consumed by acid, you know. Right. Like yeah. I'm I'm sort of I'm not keeping that, like that physical regimen like like I like I did every day. Even um, though he could, there's yeah. nothing stopping him. Right, right, right. And he, he climbs a tree at that one point to kind of hack yeah. some some limbs down. Um but he's yeah he's he's having to deal with like idleness and and not having that that immediate obvious sense of purpose every day like every day you wake up you you just take care of your your subordinates your soldiers and you command them and so on and now he's like he's just in Marseille and he's wandering the city yeah. and he doesn't really he doesn't really have a purpose anymore he's, he he says early on you know unfit for civilian life unfit for life period like he just yeah. feels completely adrift and um, like he'll never, he'll never feel like he belongs anywhere again. 
Well, what's interesting though, like you you just said that he uh, has lost this purpose that he had in the Legion. But what I thought was really interesting was they didn't seem like they had much of a purpose. That's true. In what they were doing, like yes. they were never assigned anything that looked like it was important. Right. They were seemingly only always training, or when they finally you know go to the far outpost. Which was that all literally a setup to get them out there? Yeah, I think so. so yeah, I could, think uh, I think it was. He wanted to get Suntan and the rest of the soldiers to as remote a place as possible and away from Forest DA. Although Forest DA eventually comes to visit, you know, because um, that was after the helicopter crash. Right. Right. Which, by the way, if you're listening, you haven't seen this movie. Don't expect some exciting scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it, it, very it's minimally really, done. Yeah. Well, it's really cool how it's done though, because the first thing you see is underwater just this you know kind of jaws-esque like yeah. gallons and gallons of blood being yeah. spilled in the ocean yeah then you come above the water and you see like the floating some shrapnel of a door right that's on fire and then you're like you know something clearly has happened and then you see uh Santin, is that it's mm -hmm. yeah like saving this guy yep yep and that seems to be the weird last straw in that he saves this dude he does a brave thing He's already well liked, which is the first thing right. that bothers Galu. And then he saves this guy and gets praise from the the big boss who yeah, Galu he, is so desperate to, you know, get attention from. That's right. Yeah. He um yeah, he, it basically it really establishes him in the mind of Forrest Ye as like, oh, this is like a guy I could see one day making captain or or whatever rank it would be, you know. Like he's heroic, he he just does what's called for. He has kind of a natural leadership ability. People like him. But why um, does it Galu? I mean, it's got to be well, repressed Galoo, homosexuality, I, should, I, I think, because yeah, otherwise yeah, it's, a it's sergeant should like a, uh, his subordinate rising to the occasion, being brave. Like that's the kind of guy you want to promote. And he's just consumed with jealousy, almost like it's this new baby being brought into the house right. of a, of a yeah. big brother. Yeah, in theory, these are this is what you're trying to create through all this yeah. discipline and rigor and and so on. It's like I'm trying to mold you into that, and this guy has him. that. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. Uh, one one quick note: Galou uh, in French rhymes with the word jaloux, which is jealous. So okay. they're having a little bit of fun there, calling him Galou. Uh -huh. um, the 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 reason i think when 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 santan first arrives on the scene um already uh you can tell that uh galu is, is very very suspicious of him he says you know his name is santan at least that's the the name he gave when he signed up yeah and he and said he's not fit uh or he, he has no he reason, has no to, reason be here. to be here yeah no yeah. reason to be here in the sense that this guy doesn't feel like an outsider in right. the way that you know this guy could have could have gone into normal civilian life and probably succeeded in business or right or been a model yeah exactly <laughs> like like there were there were so many other places this guy could have found himself yeah. why is he here with the rest yeah. of us outcasts and rejects and you know of course everybody loves him and and, and is drawn to him and his charisma and his his charmingness and which is also know. subtle though by the way yeah but um i i think i think it's just that um galu likes being kind of the big fish in the little pond and that ecosystem has now been upset by this new arrival. And of course, there's there's this whole submerged subtext of his attraction to him 
and and the attraction and the repulsion and the feeling of being threatened maybe because the soldiers look to uh, Santan as much or more as they look to Galu for mm-hmm. leadership in some cases. And of course, the way Galu behaves and the things that he does as the story continues only only push that dynamic even further and alienate him more and more from his soldiers, the way he treats people. Um, so, so he's kind of his own worst enemy in that way too, in that he's worried that the soldiers are going to lose their respect for him and so then he does all these things that necessitate them losing that respect yeah i mean it's funny thinking more about american beauty i mean one of the the big uh plot points of that movie is this former military man who is uh repressed homosexuality and he ends up killing spoiler alert (laughs) surely you've seen this movie but here it goes he ends up killing uh kevin spacey um very much mirrors this movie in some ways, but the way this one is done, I mean, they're both kind of subtle because it doesn't, uh, well, I guess American Beauty is a little more on the nose, but it's pretty overt because he thinks he sees like some sexual thing happening yeah, between that's true. his son and Kevin Spacey, although it's a misunderstanding. And then there's right. that scene where he like, he actually, I think he kisses Kevin Spacey, right? He does. And Kevin Spacey's like, garage. no, 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 I'm not. And then, yeah. yeah. Um, but this movie, it's almost like, Claire Denis was so deft and subtle subtle with it that it's almost like it's homoeroticism by default because you're left going, what else could it be? Yeah, yeah. Like, why else would this guy have such a bone to pick with this dude? Right. Because there's never anything overt. I mean, he just comes after this guy. Yeah. There's there's really no reason, no other reason. It's like a a structuring absence, you would say. Yeah, totally. it's, It's there, but it's there because it's not there. Like, I don't um, even think they speak to each other directly once, do they? Barely, barely at all. Um, do they have an exchange of dialogue between the two of them? Hardly. I, I mean, I, like I don't remember word, one. Just, just a word or two. Um, there's there's an exchange where it's it's a little bit later where um, uh, Suntan and another soldier are sort of like keeping night watch. And oh, that's the right, one, that's right. And the one soldier puts his gun down and goes Takes to pee. Takes a week, yeah. And then, you know, Galu comes along and says, where's the other guy? He abandoned his post. I think that's post. the he only says, time. And though. he says, like, no, he just went to pee. He goes, he yeah. abandoned his post. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's basically the only interaction I can recall that they have. But that, I mean, directly. that leads to the big moment because it is the next day when that soldier who abandoned his post to pee is forced to dig the hole. Yeah. And uh, Santin, Santin uh, offers him water. Right and uh gets in a fight and again if you haven't seen this don't expect some big fight scene yeah because <laughs> that doesn't even happen yeah it's interesting in the in the, uh billy bud the melville uh story what what ends up happening is is that the the galoop character claggart um basically falsely accuses uh billy bud the uh-huh. the, the galoop character or no the the Santan character of uh wanting to foment a mutiny and it's a bogus charge, but he but he levels it because he wants to get him out of there. Right. And so Billy Bud becomes angry and enraged. And there's a detail to his character where he kind of stutters and he can't really fully articulate what he's feeling. And so this this kind of excess of emotion, he can't channel it out verbally. And so he punches Claggart and he yeah. happens to punch him so hard that he kills him right then and there. Right. And then so then he is basically... Uh, the the other superior Bruno Forestier in this film, uh, some other name and Billy Bud, the superior who really likes Billy Bud, mm-hmm. nonetheless has to basically 
um, court martial him, court martial him, and and yeah. hang him essentially. And so, like, they all have to be party to this hanging, even though they really love the guy and they understand why he did what he did and everything. But it's just the the structure of the system happens a little differently here, where um, they 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 strike each other. You know, uh, Galoop strikes Santan first, and then Santan punches Galoop and knocks him out, but he doesn't kill him. But it's also shot in a very, very avant-garde, odd way. Yeah, they they drop out all the sounds, so you don't hear the punch landing or anything, and it's slow motion, and it's it's very fragmented the way it's shot. It's not like yeah. a wide shot. It's this kind of close-up thing where the, the fist travels across the frame mm-hmm. and strikes him, and then it just kind of cuts to the next sequence. It's like... Okay, you can't strike a superior officer right. even if he's being a real jerk at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and leading up to that too, there's there's a moment where the guy's been digging the hole already, like all night, and now he's down in the hole. His hands are bloody yeah. uh, from this kind of wooden shovel that he's been using, the splinters and whatever. And uh, there's another soldier. Uh, you know, they're they're both black. Uh, these two soldiers, mm-hmm. and the one soldier is looking down at the other. And uh, Galu comes along and he tells the soldier who's standing outside, um, hey, you're, you're not African anymore. You're French. Like, get back yeah. to work or whatever. So yeah. there's, there's, there's definitely some, some kind of racism, nationalism, sure. colonialism, mm-hmm. um, all, all being blended there too. But again, yeah. it's, it's very, very subtle. Um, it's, not, it's not overt, but a little remark like that in that context among those soldiers, they would all know what that really means. And, um, and so... He's he's deliberately obviously he's trying to provoke this reaction from Santan. Yeah. Um that Santan's not going to stand by idly while while he does that. And so um yeah, it's just it's interesting how how he pushes that confrontation uh to happen so that he can undermine Santan uh at least in the in the kind of um uh in in the framework of the military where you can't do that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's. I also think it's interesting that there was, it's almost like a movie that feels like it's building toward a climax that never really comes. Right. Maybe because that fight scene is so uh, oddly filmed, you don't get that release that you normally would in a movie. There's that one great sequence or, or shot where the two are circling each other. Yes. Uh, out in the, the desert and getting closer and closer, staring at each other closer and closer until they're face to face. And the impossible smoothness and youngness of of the one compared to the rough hewn pockmark yeah. face of the other yeah is at its most striking but um, and there and there which just like the blue sky and the ocean yeah it's like gorgeous. it's such an elemental minimalist kind of thing yeah. it's like good but nothing happens evil, there you know? either yeah yeah no the and, and of course we we haven't talked about the music yet but the music right. is by uh, an opera which was also adapted from billy bud right uh by benjamin Britten and em forster and uh and so not much of it like yeah. it's pretty minimalist and at times you're like is there even a score right and right. then it pipes in with this big operatic thing yeah and in certain moments it really really comes on strong yeah and um and so yeah like you said that it, it's all building to this what we think is going to be this cathartic conflict you know mm-hmm. and like you said it doesn't really happen when when it does happen she drains out the sound she slows the film down um the cathartic moment is does not give any catharsis and it, yeah. it's kind of yeah it's 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 drained of a lot of what could be dramatic power like it could be a really kind of um energetic scene or something but instead she goes the complete opposite way and and pulls all of that out of it so that we are left feeling yeah. kind of like 
they never got you know they, uh -huh. they never had that moment where they like went mano a mano kind of thing yeah i feel like claire denis um and not in a way not in a manipulative way but i feel like she in this film and maybe her other work very much wants to challenge the audience sure uh by not laying everything out there by forcing the audience to draw their own conclusions but like in a way that it's not like oh that ending was a little ambiguous like throughout the movie it abandons the the three-act structure that we're also familiar with and comfortable with it doesn't have those i mean sort of roughly has some plot points at the 30 and 60 minute mark but not in a way that you're used to so it really is incumbent on the on the viewer to put it all together and uh, decide how you feel about it and decide what's even going on in the end. Yeah, she she leaves a, a tremendous amount of space for the viewer to have their own thoughts and feelings and interpretations of things without getting into like a sort of, you know, a, a David Lynchian thing of like, right. it's not it's not surreal. I mean, it's anchored in a reality, but very much. But but so much of um, the motivations and so on are left kind of obscure and we don't uh -huh. have access to them other than through the VO, but the VO is very sparse as well. So a lot of it is just the way, the expression in somebody's face, mm -hmm. the the way that they move. Um, and she's so good at creating just a mood and, and a vibe and an atmosphere that's wordless and that feels like it couldn't be written. You know, it couldn't mm -hmm. be expressed any other way than than through the medium of cinema, of of, you know, moving pictures and sound combined together. And uh, over time, edited and so on to create these kind of uh, almost hypnotic states that we enter into as a, as an audience, and um, that's why I mean, I think her films are, you know, al although you could you could imagine this comes from a literary source, but it would be hard to make this specific film into any other medium. It's it's very very untranslatable, unadaptable in that way. Because it has to be a film, you know, it couldn't be, it couldn't work as a play, for instance, no because you wouldn't, you would never get that sense of the closeness yeah. with the actors and, and, and all the things that are unspoken and so on. It really yeah. does have to be cinema. And I, I think that she is, I mean, she's, she's very, very comfortable with ambiguity yeah. and with, and, and, and just all the, all the richness that can come from that, uh, that cinema yeah. really excels at, I think. Yeah. Not to the detriment of the film, um, at all that ambiguity. Uh, another movie from 1999 that is just now occurring to me that deals some with masculinity and uh, is Eyes Wide Shut. Oh yeah, yeah. There were uh, what was going on back then? What was happening <laughs> in 99? Was it the the dawn of the millennium? Yeah, or something. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that that is really interesting. How many how many films from that era? Um, like I said, I mean, I think it's I think it's sort of um, there were some big shifts happening in the 1990s and. You could say, I don't know. You could you could maybe say this is it's like another wave of um, feminism starting to arrive as well, yeah. and men and men looking to kind of navigate these new roles that are being that are changing, yeah. And and certainly you know to go back to Fight Club or American Beauty. I mean, American Beauty, um, Lester Burnham is is definitely a character that like feels very much emasculated by his mm -hmm. life and powerless and so on. Yeah. And and his kind of like one of the ways that he reclaims that is to like start lifting weights and right. smoking, smoking weed pot, and yeah. you know yeah yeah uh, listening to classic rock and whatever and just kind of having the the midlife crisis thing. But it is definitely about masculinity and 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 reclaiming some kind of assertiveness that he feels like has been taken from him. Um, 
yeah, that I don't know. I don't know what was going on in the late nineties, but was in the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to um, say. It's also uh, I feel like this movie. Like I wouldn't change anything about this movie, but this is a a story that I could see the right Hollywood director making very well. Sure. Um, it would be a very different movie about you know some grizzled sergeant army for life, this young kind of brash, uh, almost uh, civilian minded new recruit comes in who everyone loves, who this guy sees as a threat to the way of, um, and you know movies have sort of danced around this kind of thing in different ways. I think Platoon did a little bit, Full Metal Jacket in a certain way. Even though Private Pyle wasn't a threat in that way, he was a threat in a different way right. to to the Marine Corps. But I could see a movie like this being made and it being a quality film under the Hollywood lens if it was made by a filmmaker with some skill. But it would be, I mean, it could live, you know, adjunct to this one, I think, you know, not necessarily a remake. And we should we should say there have been other other filmic adaptations of Billy Budd. Um, not of Beau Travai, but of Billy Budd. There's a 1962 British production directed by uh, Peter Ustinov, um, which I have not seen, um, that sticks, I think, much more closely to the original Melville text. So it's the British Navy. Um, oh, okay. And, and, and you know, it's, a, a, like I said, a much more, I think, straightforward adaptation telling of that story. If I had to guess, probably a little bit less of the homoerotic subtext and so on in that one. Just but that's because just of when it was made. Yeah. yeah. Or, or at least buried a, a little more deeply than, than in this film. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I see what you mean. Like the Hollywood version would obviously be a lot more on the nose and explicit, I think, yeah, with, with some of this stuff. <laughs> it's a film that obviously could get made now. Um, and, and, and like you said, by the right team the right filmmaker and so on could even be done pretty well mm. it just it wouldn't be this it would be right it would be sort of like the annotated version that kind of like yeah, dots, you know the, underlines everything sounds. and like makes it a lot more explicit it wouldn't be a ballet uh you know an almost dialogue free ballet right right uh homoerotic ballet there probably which, uh, wouldn't be a choreographer you know <laughs> as part of the crew it'd probably be like a fight you know uh what's the word we'll fight choreographer but a little different so you know the movie kind of Climaxes in its own way with that fight, and then uh, then Galu has the excuse to punish, yeah, uh, to punish him, and does so in a way that essentially is is. Uh, I mean, I think he's trying to kill him by dropping him off in the middle of the desert. And I read afterward that he he um, fucked with his compass. He gave him know, a bad, a bad compass. Part. Yeah, because I, I must have missed that. There's a close up of the compass, and the wheel, the the arrow just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. Uh, it it okay. settles in one place, and then it goes completely opposite. So, um, yeah, he gave him a, he gave him a bad compass, and where he was dropping him, that is basically tantamount to a death sentence because he'd right. have no way to to orient himself and get back in in that kind of just flat open desert. Yeah, but he had to know. I mean, for someone who. I mean, I guess he says he's consumed by rage, but he doesn't show that in a very outward way. Like for someone who was so dedicated to his job and so foreign legion for life to do this knowing. And I think the superior even says he says like, it to him. Yeah. You knew that this was going to happen. He says you knew what you were getting yourself into. Like, yeah, this is that's the road you chose to go down. Nobody forced you to do this. You know, right. Um, it's really weird. Like like I was saying, like his his life used to just be like his purpose in life was the kind of maintenance of this French foreign legion, his platoon or whatever you call it. But he drifted from that goal so far 
that like he thought the only way he could keep what consumed. he had yeah. was to was to go completely against that that kind of ethos that that uh, oath or whatever it is that he took well yeah i think i answered my own question though because it is the the repressed homosexuality again i think because i, I was just thinking he could have put him on shovel duty for two weeks right until his hands were falling apart yeah but he would still be there and he would still see him and still feel attracted to him he had to get him away he had to he was trying to remove i think remove this urge from his life yeah that's that's true it's not just enough to punish he had to kind of eliminate him completely um even though he may not have been able to articulate to himself why that drive was so strong like that in him that that repulsion that death was the only acceptable outcome it wouldn't be enough to just drum him out of the military or you know demote him to the point where maybe he would quit or something um, and he's he still surrounded like, by good-looking shirtless guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all those guys are handsome. He just had to to completely eradicate him because there was just something about him that that yeah. was too much. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, I think the reveal that he was still alive really caught me off guard. I thought for sure he was dead. Yeah. Laying out there on the salt flats, which was just another, just amazing, amazing shot and sequence. Yeah. Uh, that just white crystalline little spikes uh stalagmites almost um really striking on screen somehow even more minimalist than the rest you know just when you can't think when you think it can't get even more yeah it it goes there and it, it, they find that there's that beautiful shot where it's just all water and then you realize gradually mm-hmm. the camera's panning and you don't really even have a sense of what the scale is and then it finally finds kind of like the shore yeah, and yeah. him walking along it and the waves and everything um, have you seen this on the big screen I have not, unfortunately. I, Dude, I just keep you know, your eye out. If it ever plays, let, let me know. I'll go with you. Well, you know, it. We unfortunately the just this past year, twenty twenty, um, they did like the big four K restoration, mm. and uh, and the Criterion Blu Ray came out and everything because for a very long time this was a hard film to get hold of. Oh, really? Um, there was a DVD in the United States, but it was out of print and it was also quite poor quality. The transfer and everything was not very good. There was like a UK DVD that looked a lot better, but you had to have like a region free player and all that. So that's going to rule out most people. That's the copy I had. And then, but it wasn't available to like stream anywhere as far as I know. Um, it, it had this reputation, but for for most like interested viewers, it was just really, really hard to come by. And so finally, Criterion, who has worked um, on, on other Denis film releases as well, um, they finally like did the restoration for this film. They're doing God's work, Casey. But but by the time <laughs> like it was coming out, it was already the pandemic, and so uh, uh, they only had like a virtual cinema release. So maybe maybe like a handful of festivals might have shown it before. Um, I bet it'll everything show shut it down Midtown at some point. I gosh, I really really hope so. I mean, yeah, when when things open back up again, I hope mm-hmm. they they still like will book it, you know, and and let it play on some screens because. I've seen this movie probably 10, 15 times, but I've wow. never seen it on a big screen. And Interesting. You know, most of the times I've seen it have been off that DVD. Of only like the last maybe couple of viewings that I've seen this um, HD version, which looks amazing too. Yeah, it looked really good. Um, what is your take on, you know, toward the end of the film, there is a sequence where he has made his bed so perfectly. Right. This is Galoo, of course. Uh, we already know that, um, although we don't see what happens to uh, Santin, yeah, <laughs> uh, we it. do see him get get rescued and he's alive, but that's kind of where it ends. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's the shot of him laying on the bed with his gun and in any other movie, he would have blown his head off. Right. But he doesn't. 
But I just sort of took that as like, that is on the table for him kind of at any moment. He's definitely thinking about it. I think um, if I remember correctly, Claire Denise said that originally that was kind of the end of the film was that it was, was that going sequence? to, it was either going to be actual overt suicide or at least heavily suggested like the last shot would be him Cocking holding that it. gun on the bed yeah, and then yeah. just cut to black or something. Right. And, but she decided, you know, I, I, I don't want to end that way. I want to end on something else. Like I want, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, this, One of the weirdest endings. Amazing, amazing, one of a kind, you know, ending in, in all of film, I think. Um, it cuts back to, if, you know, you may not pick up on this if it's your first viewing, but it's the same disco that yeah. the rest of the film has been shot in. Mm -hmm. It's got that crisscross pattern on the on the mirror in the club, mm -hmm. um, which mirrors the crisscross pattern of the chain link fence when uh, 4CA yeah. is looking at the, the soldiers in the ocean. Um, but at this time, it's just him alone. There's nobody else in there. And he's listening to The Rhythm of the Night by Corona. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, for a while, he's just kind of smoking, listening. He's moving uh -huh. a little bit. And then, like, the chorus hits and he just explodes into this yeah. amazing, you know, release. And it, it's it's such a beautiful thing because he's been so tightly wound and yeah. so so immobile in a way and so interior and so just, like, uptight the whole film. And now, suddenly, he's just, like, bursting with this energy and this kind of uh, joy of life and, and everything. And um, there's something just very cathartic and, and transcendent about it, I find. Well, there's a couple of readings of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I think probably because if you think about it chronologically, like it's ending with him and he's back in Djibouti. He's back in Africa, mm -hmm. you know, because he's in that club again. So oh, obviously, yeah. so obviously this can't, that. this can't be like that night he went out dancing or something, you know. But he's, this is this post is a, yeah. uh, Mar uh, where, when he was in France and then he comes back. Well... The thing is, is this is this going back? Is this him remembering a time, or did this ever even happen? Is this just sort of like an internal, like right. in his mind, he's still there. He's in that disco. He's dancing. Like this is um, what it might be like for me to accept my sexuality. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And this is his daydream or or right. night dream even. Or yeah, it's 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 maybe it's a it's a sort of metaphorical thing. Like he's accepting who he really is inside, and he's letting that flourish and come out. And it's it's the complete opposite of what he has been up to that point, maybe. Um, but obviously, the other the other kind of reading is that he's lying on that bed. He's got the gun on his chest. He mm -hmm. says, "Serve the good cause and die." That's the last right. thing he says. It's also what's tattooed on his arm there. Yep. Um, and he, and he, that's that amazing shot of his arm pulsing, the vein pulsing in his arm. Yeah, that was a nice little <laughs> crazy. Like, hey, let's shoot that. <laughs> yeah, and um, and so then you know if if you follow that reading, then it's kind of like. Okay, off off screen he shoots himself, he's dead. Right. And then this is like his spirit leaving his body or yeah. he's in heaven or something yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. you know, something some some reading along okay. those lines. It's hard to say, like maybe I didn't think about that. Maybe well, the I got, movie I got a is question him, now. you know, just the the whole movie is him bursting out of his shell and so right. it's a new beginning for him. We don't know. So the question is uh it shows toward the end as well. He's got this girlfriend yeah, that is, is she had been set up. Um, I'm not again, not in any overt way, but you see her in those scenes in the clubs in Africa. And she says that, you know, that's my boyfriend and like we get along really good. And that's kind of all she says. But it where is that? Where are they then? Are they in Africa? Yeah, they're in Africa. So presumably when he so got he's kicked come out back then or is mm, this before he leaves? This is before he leaves, I think. This okay. is all him remembering that relationship. Okay, um, okay, OK, But I think I think when he leaves, they're done. 
and he doesn't gotcha. see her anymore. You know, I think I think that's part of it is is his memory of her. Um, it's a little hard to track because usually, sure. again, in a conventional film, right, they give him a beard or some clear, yes, yes, physical descriptor to say like this is this timeline, this is that timeline. Yeah, it's it's him. I think romanticizing and just like looking back fondly on that time gotcha. that he had with her, okay. which is interesting too because we're we are saying that it's this film about repressed homosexuality and so on but uh -huh. the men do go with women in this film oh sure um but you know to what extent they're really engaged in those relationships it's hard to say because the women that are in this disco it's pretty much implied they're like sex workers you know mm -hmm. they they may feel some genuine connection sometimes to these soldiers but they are also there of like financial necessity and they're working right. and this is one of the few ways that um these young women know of to like support you know whatever family they have just just make a make a life for themselves and so the 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 way that women are are, are kind of shown in the film is really really interesting mm -hmm. they there's certainly not i mean the his girlfriend is the closest thing to like a female character but she says almost nothing yeah she's um, almost not a character she's 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 seen but not heard yeah um and yet within the film itself um, I mean, it's obvious that the women are like uh, kind of a, uh, an afterthought for the men. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the film itself, we are given these sequences where, uh, you know, the, the African women are kind of looking at the soldiers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're talking among themselves. They're kind of laughing. Um, there's, it doesn't we, show any mistreatment of them. It doesn't no, show yeah. exchange of money. I'm not to say that wasn't happening, but right. it very much looks like people having a good time at a club yeah yeah and i mean i think i think it's in 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 certain places like it's it's such a deep part of the culture this mm -hmm. this kind of monetary thing mixed with the romantic thing that it, it really blurs the lines a little bit um it, it's it's just expected that maybe if you're from that town this is what you do you reach a certain age you go to the disco you meet a soldier kind of thing contrast it with like a full metal jacket Right, right. And where the, it's much more the miso horny scene, which yeah, is yeah. very explicit and very overt that these uh that the these soldiers are very much taking advantage of these women and think nothing of them. Um, yeah, both it, both sides are very clear. This is this yeah. is completely transactional. There's no emotion here whatsoever. Um whereas in this it is it is much more like confused. He, like she does call him her boyfriend, you know. Yeah. And they they they, they do seem to seem to have some real genuine affection for each other um Doesn't show it but <laughs> yeah but, it, <laughs> it's but it is implicit. well there's 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 that one um sequence where it's galu sitting by himself and this young boy comes up to him with a with a box of stuff for sale oh that's right and he kind of yeah. he kind of bugs him for a second gift. and he can just like kind of tries to wave him off and then he sticks uh -huh. around and he says all right i'll buy this thing and yeah he buys a little gift for her and then she's asleep on the bed and he very tenderly kind of puts puts that's it right. in her hand and kind of strokes totally. her hair for a minute like there's you know it seems like there's some yeah. some actual genuine affection there I forgot but, about that but it is it, it, it's only briefly touched upon and like i said uh, it's just one of those things like I, I think um, when he left, that was it. You know, they they didn't keep in touch after that. Yeah. Casey, I think my favorite part of this conversation was like five minutes ago when you sounded like an 80 year old man and said, <laughs> well, you know, the men go with women, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've never sounded more like an old man. Oh, uh, that's funny. They go with other men. What? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. 
and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, what else you got on your list? Let's see. Well, we should say that there's there's a little bit of a, another filmic reference happening in this movie. The character um, uh, Bruno Forestier, who is the the highest superior officer, mm-hmm. um, is a character drawn by a, a Jean Legard or drawn from a Jean Le Godard film, oh, really? Le, Petit, Le Petit Soldat, The Little uh-huh. Soldier, which was his second completed film. He made it right right after uh, making Breathless, oh. um, and it talked about um, the Algerian War. Uh, there's a character. In that film, Bruno Forestier, played mm-hmm. by Michel Subor, so the same actor as in this film. And uh, basically, he's somebody that deserted the French military during the Algerian War, and he goes to to Switzerland, and he's kind of working for the government in this kind of shadowy double agent uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. And so basically, Claire Denis had the idea that that character in that film could have run away from that situation and joined the French Foreign Legion and just kind oh. of like hidden himself there. And Very so he kind of... In a way, this film is sort of like an unofficial sequel in a way to that film, <laughs> although it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be thought of that way, certainly, and it doesn't require you to have seen that film, but it's just an interesting kind of like inter-film connection there. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, it's interesting for for a film that is so 
um, sensory based that mm -hmm. is so kind of like it's all about mood and intuition and wordlessness and so on. There's also such a rich kind of intellectual um, variety of things happening, you know, yeah. in terms of like it's referencing this Herman Melville book. It's also mm -hmm. referencing the opera it's that opera, was based yeah. on it. Uh, it's also referencing this Jean-Luc Godard film. It's incorporating modern dance. Um, there's all these things that 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 flow into it, and yet it yeah. never feels like like an intellectual exercise or something. You know, no, it's a very easy watch actually. It, yeah. I mean, if you're listening and you think like, oh boy, this weird artsy fartsy French <laughs> movie without much dialogue, it it's you know it doesn't drag at all. It's ninety no. minutes long. Um, it's a slow burn, but it was it was a really pleasant watch. Uh, I think oddly, it's not super challenging. No, it has this like hypnotic quality, mm -hmm. and and it, it's the kind of film where if you're just willing to pay close attention and and react to it as if you would react to a real life situation where you read body language and you look into people's eyes and you you know you try to understand it in that way all all the story will be there you know you don't have yeah. to have the background on like the french occupation and you know post colonial theory yeah. and all that kind I think of stuff it, like it bears a close viewing but it's not at all the kind of movie that's vexing in a way where you're like I don't even know what the fuck is going on. Like, what am I watching here? Right, right, right. It's yeah. it's weird. I mean, it's a bit of a miracle in that way to to be this avant garde and and yet and still sort accessible of throw the rules somehow. out. Yeah, but it's still yeah. something that you can enjoy. Like, I enjoyed watching it. I watched it this morning at like seven a.m. and and really, enjoy, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, you and me both. We both watched it this morning. Um, and I even even as we've been doing this uh, this this recording, like I've had it on the TV, just on the side here. It's nice just so background. I can, in, in my periphery, I can just kind of catch. <laughs> because like as soon as I start thinking about it, I do uh -huh. want to start immediately talking about all the sort of stuff that's in a way external to the film. You know, yeah. Why it but, looks like that Janet Jackson video, right? <laughs> Remember the one but, in the desert with the dancers? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I bet you anything they were influenced by this. I'm sure. Um, but but yet. The, the film itself is there and it is this kind of closed object that that doesn't mm -hmm. need all this kind of you know extra textual support to to understand yeah. it or to appreciate it so i think that's that's very interesting about it can you see this uh outside of the criterion channel can you just like get this on itunes or whatever i don't know i think it Let may look, actually yeah let's see if it's, if it's it available down? for because it's for a movie renting. i would like people to see and i've been beating the criterion channel drum for a while but i know it's you know it's a big ask to say for, sign for up for this subscription thing just to watch. Well, this especially one movie. if you're not like a true cinephile, like because yeah. that's really what's out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, did, there is there is like a physical release if uh, if you happen like to be somewhere that actually there are physical rentals to be had. Um, that there, that's a potential avenue as well. Uh, let me see here. It does not look like it. So. So it's just on Criterion Channel. Uh, I mean, it doesn't pop up on. Uh, on like iTunes or anything like that. So, although yeah, you can get the DVD. Oh look, it's got a four and a half star rating on uh, Amazon. Not bad. <laughs> it's so funny when a movie, like you see the Rotten Tomatoes score come up, and it's like oh, you, I don't even want to say the word Rotten Tomatoes in the same sentence as a film like this. You know, right, right, right. It's just like ugh, don't even tell me what the Rotten Tomato. I hate Rotten Tomatoes anyway. It's so dumb. Well, that that reminds me, um, one of her more recent films. I guess her last film to get released um high life um was distributed by a24 and the the slip cover for that has the tomato rating on it oh really and that just really bugged me when i saw that what's I was like, the Come rating on, man 
Oh, it was it was fresh. It was certified fresh, but I don't remember if it was like in the eighties or nineties or <laughs> it's what. Just but, stupid. Yeah, it's just like okay. I still haven't seen High Life, dude. I gotta check that out. I have to say, like uh, you know, High Life. Um, I've only seen it once. I did see that one in the theater. I liked it. It didn't really like bowl me over the way other of her films have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, it's her first film in English. Uh, it's her first film kind of made with like within like the more American system. Yeah. Um, it's sci-fi, which she hasn't really done before. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. For me, just a, based on one viewing, it didn't really have the the draw of some of her other films that um that I that I hold in in really high regard. You know, if 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 you are somebody who's seen this film and you're interested in other Claire Denis films, yes, I'd really really recommend checking out um the Intruder, L'Entrou. Okay. Um, which she made maybe five or six years after this one, mm-hmm. and it stars Michelle Subor, who is the the highest ranking official in this film, mm-hmm. as kind of a shady guy. You don't really know much about his past, um, but he needs a heart transplant, and he gets one kind of on the black market. And it 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 pushes. It's the furthest she has pushed into complete abstraction. Oh, really? Um, and so it it's sort of. It's sort of, you know, it, it bears some formal similarities to this film, uh-huh. but it pushes way further into not knowing if something is a dream or oh, wow. a kind of metaphorical expression yeah, of yeah. something. Um, and it was it was adapted from a, a literally like a philosophical text um, that was written by this philosopher, Jean-Luc Nancy, who had a heart transplant and his body rejected the transplant. and so and so he he did end up surviving that i don't know if he got like a second transplant or what but he ended up surviving and um and he wrote this text about the idea of the intruder this thing that comes from outside and comes to inside and in the case of his body it was this second heart that he got Mm -hmm. that his body rejected but he also puts that in terms of like immigration and people coming from outside a country and into a country and integrating or not integrating um and the idea of borders and it's it's i mean it's a fascinating fascinating film um and it, it it pushes like the the what what can be expressed without dialogue yeah. just in terms of the music and the images and so on um just about to the breaking point like after uh-huh. that she kind of <laughs> she kind of pulled it back and, and her films have been a little more narrative since then well i mean that's another malik staple too you know and, right. and criticism at times um not to go down another side road but the other day i was on scrolling through Criterion, I did see and watch. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Right. Yeah. That was uh, um, under their 21st century cinema thing, and I hadn't seen that one yet either. The Lynn Ramsey movie, which sure. uh, I thought of you when I saw it for some reason because I figured you had seen it. We would. I think you had just watched it when you when you texted me that that wine. Uh, oh, that you had just text. watched it. You had, I believe. You oh. said I. You had just come from watching it. I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Of course I was thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that film um I have to say like like uh, Lynn Ramsey for me like her best films are her first two Ratcatcher and uh Morvan Caller. Yeah. And then there was a really long stretch of time between Morvan Caller which came out in 2002 mm-hmm. and we need to talk about Kevin which came out 2011. So like almost a decade passed. And then the Joaquin Phoenix movie. That's right. By the way, I didn't get blackout drunk. It, now it's all coming back to me. <laughs> I just forgot we talked about that. Yeah. And it, it, it almost feels like she she kind of became a slightly different filmmaker in those nine years in between, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's normal. That's life. Yeah. But um, her first two films for me have just a lot more thematic richness to them, whereas I feel like in these last two, she's, you know, 
the the use of image and sound is is really really strong it's very mm-hmm. visceral and that's great but at the same time the ideas and the kind of subtext below it is a little more threadbare mm-hmm. and um particularly the Joaquin Phoenix one you were never really here yeah um I that's really a like re- that I mean it's a really interesting movie it's very interesting it came out I would say maybe like a year before uh, all the Epstein stuff like really started yep. popping out. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a very similar situation in that film where there's like this mansion in Manhattan right. where there are basically sex slaves and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, very, very similar to what sounds like what was happening in real life. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, why I got on that thread. Also, you know, we talked about Eyes Wide Shut before right. uh, that story broke. And there's a very similar kind of yeah. suggestions there. Um. But yeah, with with Lynn Ramsey, I would say check out uh, check out Ratcatcher and, and Morvern Caller. Those are amazing, amazing films. And um, I, I think she's um, she's a good a good kind of companion filmmaker to Claire Denis. They both work. That's what made me think of it a little bit. In this like intuitive mm-hmm. way that, um, uh, like you said, it's it's hard to picture what a screenplay would look like. It, it's mm-hmm. something that has to be felt. It's something that just you know it when you see it, and it feels right. Not because it was written a certain way, but just because the attention to the moment and the rhythm and so on is so yeah. is so focused that um that's what seems to define the logic of the cutting and and so on is just totally. this like mood that that they're able to dial into and, and really like focus on well i'm glad you picked this movie it's um to me it's just such a uh such a pure expression of what i love about film and that uh i, I don't want all movies to be like this uh but i love that there are movies like this and I, um, I'm, I feel better for having seen it. I can't wait to see it again. And like, it's a movie you want to proselytize about a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Especially to people that are like real film lovers and, and can get into something that's a little avant-garde. And like, you need to see, say say the name in French. Beau travail. No, this say is, the, way, the cool way you said it. Beau travail. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, this is, this is since, since we've been doing, um, you know, having these conversations on Movie Crush, like... This was one on the short list from the very, very beginning. Yeah, you've been talking and, about it. And for a long time, it was kind of like, well, I can't pick that one because literally like you're asking somebody to like pay 40 bucks for like an out of print, right. you know, <laughs> DVD copy on, on Amazon Marketplace yeah. or whatever. Like it's just, it was impossible to get hold of for a while. And now thankfully it has had this re-release. And so, um, and I think also its stature has has grown. Um, in recent years, we've, we've obviously been seeing a, a, a very positive shift to... Uh, highlighting the work of more women filmmakers in yeah, general, absolutely. and Claire Denis certainly gets included in that in that kind of new pantheon of great contemporary women filmmakers. Um, and so, thankfully, I think you know, in in like university film studies programs and so on, like this is a film that gets talked about a lot. Yeah, and um, and will have um, certainly more of an audience going forward than it has in the first twenty years of its existence. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to get Tamara Jenkins on the show. Oh, yeah. I emailed her agent the other day and because uh, Emily and I just saw her third movie, um, Private Life. Yeah, I, I meant to see that's is Paul Giamatti in that? Paul or? Giamatti and yeah, Catherine yeah, Hahn. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. But uh, Savages and Slums of Beverly Hills. Right, right. Completely different kind of filmmaker, but just brilliant. And uh, I was reading an interview with her and they said, like, you took such a long break after Slums of Beverly Hills. And like, why did you do that? And she's like, because I'm a woman trying to get movies made. <laughs> no kidding. Like, she's yeah. like, I wasn't. I didn't just say like, hey, let me take off the 14 years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but she's just one of my favorites. And her uh, her husband, Jim Taylor, is a great writer, uh, Alexander Payne's writing partner. Yeah. So uh, fingers crossed. I mean, you know, I just threw it out there. I'm, I'm sure I'll get a, either no response or a no, but you never know. I'd love to get it. You never know. 
yeah that's that'd be awesome if that you happens. gotta try yeah uh well dude thanks for this uh this is a great movie i think we we can both uh speaking for you we can both say if you have eight bucks or whatever how much is criterion channel is it eight or ten dollars it might be uh is it 15? I, I, do, I do the annual subscription so you get you get a little better yeah, rate you, that save way. It, you get a little bit of a break yeah it's it's eleven dollars a month or or a hundred a year, so you save a little bit if you can do the annual. Yeah, if, I mean, if you can spare eleven bucks a month, I know paying for streaming services is a, a lot of people have a bone to pick because there's just Paramount's coming out with Too one now. Too many of them and, now. It's 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 just yeah. I don't know how that's gonna shake out when there's like twelve different subscription services and you're you're expected to pay for all of them. It's crazy. But if you are a film lover, uh, if you are a cinephile, and if you have, and if you can swing eleven bucks a month. Highly recommend you get Criterion Channel. It is chock full of not only great movies and documentaries, but commentary pieces, uh, short films, um, interviews with filmmakers about stuff. It's just got a lot of stuff. Like normally what you would watch in Criterion DVD extras, like all that shit is on there too. Yeah, they, they will do this thing where they basically put the film and all of the associated extras yeah. that you would get on the physical copy, they'll put that alongside the movie it's as well. Great. Not for everything, but but for certain titles, they'll do that. And yeah, um, they're the really other doing really cool it right. thing about Criterion Channel is that it's always rotating. So every month, uh -huh. some stuff goes away. A lot of new stuff comes in. That can be frustrating too. That can be yeah. That can be frustrating too. I'll when make stuff a note. Leaves. Then I'm like, you got to get on it. You know, if you want to watch it. That's true. But at the same time, I mean, it's it's cool that there's so much new content being added all mm -hmm. the time and they organize it a lot of times into these kind of thematic sections yeah, where tranches. there's like eight it's or nice. eight or 10 films that all speak to a certain theme um, or a filmmaker like the works right. of Gordon Parks or the work of right. Claire Denis. And, and speaking of which, I mean, there's a lot more uh, Claire Denis films that are available on Criterion channel. It's not everything she's done. Is Intruder um, on there? Intruder is not, I don't okay. think so. Intruder is another one that has, um, that really needs a restoration Tough, yeah. and really needs a re-release, and I hope that will happen as well. It wasn't quite as like critically loved as as uh, Botrevai, but yeah. um, certainly I think I think absolutely equally uh, worthwhile. Um, I will say, in, in terms of what is on Criterion Channel, check out Thirty Five Shots of Rum. That's okay. an amazing film um, in a completely different register to this one. That would maybe even be another good one to do for the show because uh, it's a father and daughter story. It has a lot of heart, um, similarly kind of minimalistic and, and a lot of things unspoken and so on, but mm -hmm. it's just a really, really beautiful coming of age story. Um, probably make you cry. Um, and set in contemporary Paris and, and just, um, sweet. Yeah. Great. That, I'm super, super fond of that movie. So, um, definitely give that a, a, a watch too, if you're interested in Claire Denis. Awesome. Well, thanks dude. Uh, it was good seeing you again. This is great, great talk you, Chuck, as yeah. always. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.